Welcome to Scholastic Reads, our podcast about books, authors, and the joy and power of reading. I'm your host, Suzanne McCabe, Editor-at-Large at Scholastic. Thank you for joining us. Today, Nancy Mercado and Maria Dominguez are in the studio to talk about Hispanic Heritage Month. Nancy is editorial director for Scholastic Press, one of our most prestigious imprints. And Maria is executive editor of Scholastic en Español. They're going to tell us about some of Scholastic's YA novels and children's books that are centered on Latino culture and are making a big splash in many children's lives. Maria and Nancy, thank you so much for being in the studio with us today. Thank you for inviting us. Yeah, thanks for having us. We'd love to talk about Hispanic Heritage Month and some of the authors Scholastic represents. But first, I wanted to get your personal take on the commemoration, what it means to you, what it meant to you growing up, and what some of your favorite books were. Uh, Well, I would say, for me, honestly, Hispanic Heritage Month is one of those things that it's great to celebrate in in a very public way, you know, the way that we all do. But in terms of personally, in my own family, it wasn't something that was on our radar per se. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's much more important because I'm reading books in Spanish to my daughters. And, you know, it, it becomes a time that you are seeing a lot of news articles and you're seeing lots of books and resources and things for it, which is great because it helps you bring it home. But I would say growing up, we didn't it wasn't really on our radar. What sorts of books did you enjoy reading as a kid? When I was a kid, I read uh, I read mostly realistic contemporary fiction. Um, and one book that I always say had a huge impact on me was a book called Felita by Nicolas Amor. And it was the first book I had ever read that used the word poppy to describe a father. And that was, I had never seen that before in a book. And it was, it really changed things. It was such a small detail, but I had never read a, a book that, um, where the character called her father Poppy. So that one had a huge, huge impact on me. And what about you, Maria? I am one of um, 56 million Hispanic in the United States. So it's Hispanic uh, Heritage Month really celebrates everything we are, it's not just one, but we are so many people. There are so many Hispanics here in the United States. And just to be part of that, it means a lot. I didn't grow up in the United States. I grew up in my country, in Cuba. So it's a whole different uh, experience that Nancy has. But just to see that we are represented in some way and that there is a special month during the year that is to celebrate our culture, our customs, is very important. When did you come to America from Cuba? I arrived here when I was 19 years old. Oh, my goodness. So what are the changes? Have you been back to Cuba lately? Not lately. I have been uh, back <laughs> A lot going twice. on back there. Yes, yes, but it's, <laughs> no, I haven't been back in a while. Yeah, okay. And what were some of your favorite books as a child? As a child, we really didn't have um, little sure that it was, you know, unless there were classic tales, like, you know, The Three Little Pigs and Cinderella and things like that. But uh, once we uh, were 14, 15, then we went into reading all Latin American authors from Gabriel Garcia Marquez to Alejo Carpentier. So it, it was really different. We went from reading the classics and we jumped 
directly <laughs> to, uh, you know, real classics for adults. My goodness. Well, what did you make of reading Gabriel Garcia Marquez when you were so young? It was a little bit of, uh, you know, when you read the story of Macondo, is my hometown story, my little town story in Artemisa. We all have the crazy people around in town. We just have the ones that have given their life in the army. Uh, we just have the grandmothers that are just totally crazy. So basically, uh, it was not too far from our reality that my realism from, you know, Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Uh-huh. I read, I think, after he died that possibly his book was read more often than the Bible or something oh my God. <laughs> to that effect, or nearly as often as the Bible. I mean, it's absolutely one of the most popular works in literature in history, which is really re- quite remarkable. Mm-hmm. Moving on to YA and children's authors yes. here at Scholastic, that's some segue. You have a stack of books here that you've both been working on in some fashion or another. I see Sonia Manzano. All right, let's start with that because I love her and she was on the podcast. So Becoming Maria, it's just an amazing book. Um, She's a wonderful writer, uh, Sonia. Uh, And it's very special because it's her own story. It's a story of growing up in France uh, with a family, a little bit dysfunctional with a situation. A little bit dysfunctional. She says, you know, herself in the sense that uh, that's what the story is all about. You're just having this family, Hispanic family that is just trying to um, assimilate in this country with language problems. And at the same time, the problems that a normal family we have, you know, uh, sometimes all the siblings do not have a good relationship. Uh, Sometimes you have difficulty with aunts and uncles. And so this is a story. The story is everything that you had to go through, you know, to be able to become Maria from Sesame Street, how she was able, you know, to make that uh, jump, you know, come from the Bronx all the way to Manhattan to study acting and end up, you know, being on on television. It is a beautiful story about becoming uh, a woman, um, but also about becoming a very strong uh, human being. Right. So Maria grew up, if I remember, let's say in the 1950s and 1960s, and she felt marginalized and invisible, as she says. How is that different for a little Maria growing up in the Bronx today, 50 years or 60 years later? What um, are the chances for that child to not feel so invisible or so marginalized? I think, you know, uh, for Hispanics, especially since, you know, we are talking, uh, uh, you know, Sonia is from Puerto Rico. And even though she was born here, uh, you know, she always felt totally different. And I think that's the the the, the message here in the book that uh, doesn't matter, you know, if you were born here in Manhattan, in, in, in the Bronx, in the United States, you are still who you are. You are still Hispanic. And she talks about all the tradition, for example, in Christmas, they will go around, you know, houses just singing and things that were totally different than what her friends used to do. And she always felt out of place. Her fa- She always felt her family was out of place. She always felt herself that she was out of place. And she was trying for a long, long time to imitate the other people that were surrounding her until one day she realized that that's who she was and that... That's who 
she had to be, and that's how she became Maria. And that's why the title of the book is Becoming Maria. She became herself. That's right. I, I think that book will actually have a lot of relevance to kids today. I mean, I think there are still kids, you know, Latino kids in New York City and all over the country that are having that same experience now. So I... To me, it, you know, it took place in the 1950s, but I think it could just as easily take place today. That same feeling of isolation and kind of wondering where you fit in. And um, to me, it seems very relevant. Although in school, I recall the passage where the teacher says, there are black children and there are white children. And a kid raises his hand, what about brown children? No, there are no brown children. <laughs> she felt completely erased, erased yeah. really. I'm hoping that at least, you know, societally, there are more avenues and more awareness, and Hispanic Heritage Month mm-hmm. is one of them. A kid reporter for Scholastic had the good fortune to speak with Pam Munoz Ryan this weekend, and he asked her what Hispanic Heritage Month meant to her, and she talked about the fact that every child deserves to see themselves in books, but they also deserve to see a breadth of literature that exposes them to populations and to people and cultures other than their own. Do you want to speak to that, not just having books available for children who are Latina or Latino, but children who are not, who may find a completely different world and why that matters so much? Well, so much, I mean, so much of the conversation has been about providing windows and mirrors, right? That's constantly comes up. And I think that that is so important. It's so important that, you know, kids kids see an experience that is not their own and then they see the sort of thing that connects those themselves with that character, right? So the common humanity that unites everybody, what is the thing that, you know, how does that, how do they get that by reading the story? And I think that's super important. And it's one of those things that when people talk about reading diversely, it's not just for the Latinos to be reading about Latinos. It's it's really making sure that every kid is exposed to all of these things that we're culturally fluent in things and that it's not something that feels foreign to people, right? If you if you grow up never reading a book that that has a different name for a father or a mother and you never hear that, that's going to sound strange when you go to school and you hear some kid speaking about their father in that way. And so I think it, it becomes really crucial that we have access to things, that kids have sort of awareness of this other culture exists and you need to know about it and here's why it's important and here's why it's beautiful. And that's that's something that they're going to see in the books, even through osmosis, even without really knowing that that's what they're getting. Just seeing a language in in a book that is not your own is sort of exposure to this other thing. Mm-hmm. So You have how many daughters at home? I have two. Two. How old are they? A two and a four-year-old. And you mm-hmm. read to them in Spanish and English? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually, my father came uh, from Colombia when he was 20 years old, and he didn't speak to us in Spanish when I was growing up. So for me, and that was mostly because we were living with my American grandmother, and they sort of made that decision. But for me, then, it became something that I studied in school. I, you know, went to college and studied Spanish and, you know, was reading Gabriel Garcia Marquez in Spanish for the very first time. But it it was tough for me. It was really hard to sort of gain that back. And so now with my daughters, even though it's not perfect, 
it's really, really important to me that I give them the language that when we go back to Colombia, that they can speak to people and that they understand. Because the minute you have that access, it's a whole other world that is open to them just by the mere fact of being able to speak to those people when we go down and speak to our family members. So that's that's been a, a huge effort. And sometimes, you know, you fail and other times it's just, you know, well— Every little bit counts, right? Uh-huh. And what cultural traditions do you try to preserve or or celebrate in your home here with your daughters? Um, for me, it really comes down to we live in New York City. We have access to everything. So I try to expose them to as much as possible, you know, and, and really take them to every cultural sort of thing. You know, the New York City schools had off for Eid the other day. And was a wonderful moment to sort of say, what is Eid? You know, what are what are our, our, our fellow Muslim Americans, you know, what are they what are they practicing right now? What are they celebrating? And so I think that we in New York City have an incredible opportunity to expose our kids to everything. So for for me, it comes in through the books, right? When when I'm reading books in Spanish, it's because I want them to feel that comfort level with the language, but then also just sort of an exposure to other cultures, I think, is, is it's the sort of beauty of bringing books home to your kids. You can bring them home anything. Yeah. I grew up in a house. My mom was from, her parents were from Lithuania, and I only know curse words now because <laughs> there, there was such an effort to assimilate and to mm-hmm. not, you know, that was considered a language that would shame us in a way because it was not English. Right. And I really regret not knowing more. Yeah. <laughs> you can't really speak these words outside of the home. Yeah. It's a, it's a very <laughs> yeah, common immigrant yeah, experience. Right. You sort of want to put that to mm-hmm. the side and sort of claim your Americanness. And Yeah. And you want to put that behind, but at the same time, you are never able to put that behind. And uh-huh. uh, I think what we have to do is embrace that situation. And this Hispanic population keeps growing in the United States. And I think it's very important that... Uh, uh, our mission here as Colastin is not just, you know, to help kids read, but mm-hmm. every single kid and that everybody, you know, see themselves reflected in the books. And and that's why we have these books in Spanish and why we, you know, try um, to have Hispanic authors and to have a representation, you know, of Hispanic characters in our books. Now, I asked you earlier to choose a selection from for um, the, the, dreamer. Dreamer, the Dreamer. The Dreamer. Okay, by Pam Munoz Ryan. That's right. Uh, the Dreamer is um, is a book Penn wrote, I would say, four or five years ago. It's for uh-huh. kids 8 to 12. And um, it's about the life of Pablo Neruda when he was growing up, when he made the decision, this is who I want to be. And um, I'm going to read, you know, by, you know, for the end of the book, at the end of the book, um, a little bit in Spanish, of okay, course. Okay, great. So. Allí, en la oscuridad de la gran ciudad, escribió con tenacidad. La poesía le había mostrado el camino y él no tuvo más remedio que seguirlo. Escribió sin importarle sus circunstancias, cuando vivió en habitaciones tan pequeñas como una celda, cuando apenas le alcanzaba el dinero para comer y cuando el intenso frío le hacía venerar la capa del padre y la manta de mamadre, cuando no encontraba amigos y tenía que recluirse en su interior cuando le quebraron el corazón o él quebró un corazón ajeno, cuando no estaba de acuerdo con la política de la universidad o con la política de su país. Y escribió. Oh, beautiful. Now for our listeners who may not know Spanish, do you want to set that up a little or just tell us what was going on there? Sure, of course. Um, 
Nestali, which is uh, the name of Pablo Neruda. Um, he, you know, grew up in a family and they were, you know, he was expected to do exactly what his father was doing. And uh, he wanted to be a writer. So these passages, pretty much at the end of the book, when he decides to leave home, and uh, even though he meets school, he meets home and he meets, you know, his father and he meets his mother and everything else, and he's cold and doesn't have anything to eat, but he's writing. He's doing what he really likes to do. Uh, and that's what the passage is about. So lovely. Now, let's say you are a sixth grader in the U.S. and you don't speak Spanish. What book might you recommend to that child to help them understand Latina or Latino culture? Oh, Esperanza Rising. Yeah, Whoa. that's a terrific. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us why. Well, that book is just, it, it's one of those books that has become such a perennial for Scholastic. I mean, it's its a huge sort of gem in our backlist, really. It's just such a wonderful story of, of a young girl um, growing up in a, in a migrant family. And it's there's something so, I honestly haven't read it in such a long time, but it's still the family and the closeness and the tenderness of their relationship still sticks with me. And um, um, Esperanza have to leave everything behind, all that, and then come to the United States. Mm-hmm. And that's something we all have done. Now, his father did it when he was 20, right. but it's exactly the same story that I had that I have, that I did it when I was 19. Uh, We come uh, to the United States and the reality is totally different. And that's exactly, that's Esperanza's story. You know, she had a lovely home, lovely family. They have money, they have servants. And then it's a time of the uh, Great Depression. That's when Mm -hmm. the novel takes place. And she comes to the United States and all of a sudden she finds herself, you know, um, you know, picking up tomatoes and, you know, working with... uh, uh, and it's all that, uh, you know, it could be money because of the Great Depression, but in Latin America and how many times we have had situations, political situations that have made our families leave our countries. And when it's now political, then it's economic situation. We cannot make a living and we have to find ways to be able to support our children and our family. So it's the same story. It's every immigrant situation. We come here and then we are no one. We are not, we are second class citizen or third class citizens and we don't speak the language and we don't know anybody and we are lonely. So this is like the perfect book. It doesn't matter if it was written, you know, uh, uh, about that time or if it's now, it's just a story mm-hmm. that's happening every single day in the United States. Pam told our kid reporter yesterday that she hears from so many readers, this is my story, you have told my story. And from many others who say, you introduced me to a world I didn't know. And of that's course. exactly what we would like. It's interesting. I looked up a little bit about Hispanic Heritage Month and I saw it started in 1968 informally with Lyndon Johnson, but that the significance of September 15 is that it commemorates independence of five Latin American countries. Mm-hmm. So I think that shadow of colonialism certainly pervades to this day. Well, Hispanic Heritage Month doesn't um, celebrate only uh, Latin America. It celebrates uh, any uh, Hispanic from um, Spanish origins. That's why, you know, Columbus Day, for example, mm-hmm. we are all Latino origins. It's not mm-hmm. only Latin America. and But of course, you know, it celebrates, for example, the the uh, September 15th specifically. It is the anniversary of the independence of five Central American countries, Costa Rica, Nicaragua. I don't remember exactly. El Salvador. Which, but Guadalupe. also Mexico's independence is celebrated 
You yes, know, that came okay. later, but it's also it September does, 15th. That's right. And El Dia de la Raza, mm-hmm. which is October 12th, that's, you know, mm-hmm. when we celebrate. So it's it's not just Latin America, but it's everything that have to do with that time. You know, everything that, uh, you know, people from Spain will celebrate their Hispanidad that day because, you know, it's Hispanic or Latino origins. So, but... Of course, Latin America is the big presence here in the United States. So we feel very, very that this is our month. It's nobody <laughs> else. But uh, that's that's what it is. But it's a great, great way to commemorate where we come from. Uh-huh. It doesn't matter just, you know, if it's one or the other country, but, you know, who we are, really. And and who are you? <laughs> it is our traditions, really, the the. the they are the ones that shape us. And mm-hmm. I think that's what Latinos um, have, you know, that warm, that uh, uh, character that, you know, we are able to always be happy, try to see things, you know, uh, in a funny way sometimes. And, you know, at the same time, close to family. There are so many values and uh, in the Latino culture that uh, I think they have been a great and positive influence in the United States. Absolutely. Yeah. Are there other books that speak to that? Sure. Um, well, we have um, uh, from Angela Cervantes, Gabby Loves and Found. Yeah, that one's a terrific book. So Angela Cervantes is somebody who has really grown into kind of a star on our list. She has Gabby Lost and Found, and then her latest book is Allie, First at Last. But to me, Gabby is the one that I first read, and that's that's one of a girl whose mother has been recently deported to Honduras, um, and Gabby is stuck sort of living at home with her inattentive dad. She's really sort of, she's working in a, in a, a pet adoption place. And that really is the scene for the entire book. But she's really looking to find homes for these animals. And it sort of dovetails nicely with her own story. But it's, it's one of these books that I think hits a lot of notes because it has the animal story um, kids often like to read, but it also tackles this larger themes of, of deportation and immigration. So I think it really packs a powerful punch because it's very kid-friendly, but also getting a real a really important story out there. Um, and Allie First at Last is sort of taking on a, the theme of a kid who is in a family of a lot of high achievers and lots of successes in her family. And so she's wondering what she can be good at. So she's really she's really talking about family stories as well, which I think is something you'll see a lot. in. One of the great scenes about Gavi, I remember from the book, is that her um, classmates... You know, when she say, my mother is not here, she had to go to my country. All the classmates are thinking about, you know, the grandmother taking a bag, getting in a plane, you know, that they are so far away from our reality that they can really cannot understand that when she say, my mom is not here, you know, she had to go back to my country. No, no, she had to go, you know, she was arrested. She had to go be deported. They needed to have a lawyer. You know, it's it's a whole different reality that these kids are not aware of what Nancy mm-hmm. was saying before. And yeah. that's one of the things about Gavin. She feels totally isolated right. because her classmates cannot mm-hmm. relate to what she's going through. Yeah, and, and I think that's still a problem. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that, you know, I think we're here to celebrate, but I also want to sort of put a spotlight on this is something that kids in the United States right now are dealing with all the time. One of My sister teaches fourth grade, and I met a kid when I came to visit her school who 
only spoke Spanish, came into this school that was not set up. There was no infrastructure for ASL. So this kid is sitting in a classroom every single day and hearing English, and there's nobody there to sort of help guide him through the process. And it was so horrifying to sort of see that because where does this kid go from there? Sits in a classroom for a full year, not really understanding. Yes, eventually he'll start to pick things up. But the isolation of being in that classroom, and I came in to teach a writing workshop and I went up to him and I said, you know, oh, and I started speaking to him in Spanish. I said, oh, what are you going to write about? And I mean, his eyes just lit up. It was like, wow, oh, here's somebody who's going to engage with me. And and that to me was so heartbreaking because that shouldn't be, you know, there should be somebody in that school to sort of help, right. help him get accustomed to, to life in the United States. That is so heartbreaking and crushing. I mean, the level of isolation in so many realms of children's lives, not just in the classroom, but you talk about, and it's clear, the rich family traditions when families are so torn apart by immigration and, and movement and living in the shadows and all of that, those family bonds are, I would imagine, stretched to the limit and the whole issue of sending money home. And if you go home, you can't come back and all of that. I mean, it's extremely complex and and troubling in many ways. I'm painful. I'm painful. Yeah. One of the, um, we try to have um, Spanish and English books. And that's one of the reasons why we do all these translations. And because the idea is that the teachers could have, you know, if there's someone in the situation, they're reading Clifford, but, you know, they could read Clifford English and they could read Clifford in Spanish. And I think that's the idea behind translating these books into Spanish. So the teacher could have, in case uh, they have a child who doesn't speak the language, they don't have to feel less because they cannot read what their classmates are reading, but they are able to read. It's not just that um, we are trying for, you know, uh, children from Latin America to feel reflected in uh-huh. this classic book, but also to offer a tool that they can, you know, use in the classroom. Because the important thing is to read. Uh, eventually, they will get the language. Um, children are just amazingly fast. And um, a year, you know, at the end of school year, they will be speaking Spanish. And then they don't want to read, of course, the Spanish books. <laughs> but in the meantime, during that transition, it's important that they have something in the classroom that they don't feel less than their classmates. That solace and right. and to find their own story through right. the works that they read. Mm-hmm. It's really fantastic. And to have that escape read too, right? Yeah. I mean, one of the books I really wanted to talk about was Shadow Shaper by Daniel Jose Older, which is set in Brooklyn. The main character, Sierra Santiago, is planning on a very basic uh, summer of making art with her friends. And then a corpse crashes into the first party of the season. And she finds this kind of world of magic that she didn't know existed. And it really combines kind of art and the Brooklyn setting. And I think it's just one of those books that YA fantasy readers especially have just taken to. It's gotten four-star <laughs> reviews. It's just been so widely embraced. And Daniel is such a such a terrific spokesperson for the book. So most people have heard of it yes. by now. <laughs> yes. And um, Nancy, for example, she reads to one of her daughters, uh, Princess Pink, which doesn't have to do anything with Latina, you know, Latina uh, culture, but at the same time is just read in Spanish. We have Captain on the Pants in Spanish. We have Clifford in Spanish. We have 
every possible book in Spanish. Well, now goes the graphic novel. Oh, uh, Reina. Reina, yeah. that's right. Uh, you Reina know, Tom it has Meyer. a lot about the Day of the Dead and, uh, and the celebration of Dia de los Muertos. And, and there's a lot of Hispanic... Um, uh, there are even words, you know, the word concha for the special bread that they make in um, in Mexico. And... and and there's a lot that have to do with that heritage that you are getting, you know, that, that you have. That's your family and you want to be part of it and you want to learn about it. So, so it's woven into the culture more and more, which yeah. is mm-hmm. wonderful. Yeah. No, I was so glad to see Raina tackle yeah, right. that topic because I, 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 gave, I gave a copy of Ghost to a friend who is she has an American mom and and a Mexican father, and they have two kids and sort of giving them that book and allowing them to sort of see, oh, yes, it's just like our altar that we make. Like, this is what we do at home, and this is maybe how it's different in California, right? Because uh-huh. that's the thing, right? There's no, no one culture is a monolith, so it's not that everybody does things the same way. So they have a very specific experience of Day of the Dead because they go to Oaxaca every summer, and they have that experience, and then and to see it in the in the pages of ghosts, I think, was really powerful for mm-hmm. the two of them. Absolutely. Wonderful overview here. Is there anything else either of you would like to add before we wrap up? No, I think we were able to cover everything I <laughs> to say. Wow, wow. We got to shoehorn in some of our favorite books somehow. <laughs> well, it's been such a pleasure talking with Same. you, and I learned so much. Thank you both for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks again to Nancy and Maria for joining us to talk about Hispanic Heritage Month. You'll find links to the titles they discussed in our show notes at scholasticreads.com. And thank you for joining us and for sharing in our mission at Scholastic, where we believe that the right book in a child's hands can open a world of possible. Special thanks to producer Morgan Baden sound engineers Daniel Jordan and Chris Johnson, and music composer Lucas Elliott Eberl. I'm Suzanne McCabe. We look forward to sharing more Scholastic Reads next time. <laughs>